though, of our pew Bibles. Here again, uh, though, the word of God. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal, festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we we thank you uh, for the uh, gospel privilege of worshiping you. Thank you that you not only uh, invite us to come into your your presence, Father, but uh, you clothe us with the righteousness of Christ. You call us your sons and your daughters. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, study your word together this morning from Psalm 122, Lord, that you would be again Uh, teaching us about uh, glad worship of our gracious God who loves us in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, gladness uh, still seems to be a rare commodity in these ongoing uh, coronavirus crisis days. You know, in recent weeks and months, uh, we've been through a number of uh, commodity shortages. Yes, toilet paper, still cleaning products, even spaghetti sauce. And yes, I know there's still shortages, it seems to be, on green bananas, meat, hand sanitizer. Uh, It seems that even God's children seem to be lacking uh, in gospel gladness. You know, where can we go to find an unending supply of genuine and godly gladness? You know, this morning, let us turn to God's word as it teaches us about glad worship. invite you to follow along in Psalm 122, a, a short psalm and yet a sweet psalm. You know, and here we learned that in worship, 
Christians gladly come into the Lord's gracious presence. You know, and as we think about glad worship, what are the marks of glad worship? Three. You know, as we follow along here in Psalm 122, uh, there's a glad anticipation of worship and then a glad adoration in worship and, and finally a glad assurance there in uh, the last few verses. Let's consider first that glad anticipation uh, of worship. Here uh, we're looking at Psalm 122. Uh, for those of you who read through your Bibles, you might remember that Psalm 122 is one of the Psalms of Ascent. They start with Psalm 120, uh, go through Psalm 134. Best way of understanding them is this. They were sung by God's people on their pilgrimages up to Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 122 is one of the true pilgrim psalms. You know, you, you can see that journey to Jerusalem, you know, at least for one of the three annual festivals, according to the Old Testament, Passover, Pentecost, uh, the Feast of Booths. They were headed up to Jerusalem, and it was an arduous trek. But they were going there with with one purpose in mind, you know, to worship the Lord. You can see that clearly there in verse 4. You know, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. You know, they're, they're coming together to praise the Lord for his steadfast love and sure peace, but But notice the first word there. You know, in our English versions, it's the word I. I was glad, but but in the Hebrew, that that first word is a verb. It's it's that verb glad. You know, it's not an adjective. It's a verb, active verb. You know, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, to give you a, a scriptural sample of it, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's prayer after she has dedicated her son uh, to the Lord and her heart is overflowing with joy and she's praying, 1 Samuel 2 verse 1, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord, my mouth derides my enemies Because I rejoice, I'm glad in your salvation. You know, there's an exaltation of God that is taking place even amidst this exhausting journey. You know, this psalm presumably was not written at the end of the journey, that they were singing this psalm on the way during this, this difficult trip. You know, they're, they're praising the Lord even in this painful pilgrimage. And there's a joy even before their arrival in Jerusalem. And it's a scriptural reminder for, for us, you know, as Christians, to rejoice in the Lord even now on our rigorous roadway to eternal glory, to be rejoicing in the Lord. You know, the coronavirus crisis is not done. Who knows? Not even scientists, by the way, or the government. The Lord knows. But we can continue to be rejoicing, be glad 
in the Lord. And it's a shared gladness. See, the psalmist starts off, Psalm of David, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, these fellow pilgrims are inviting this one to join in worship. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ. You can see it there in verse 8. For my brothers and companions, or my friends' sake, I will say peace within you. There's a corporate aspect uh, to this glad anticipation of worship. You know, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, keep in mind, uh, it's a psalm of David. You know, difficult to date it. Uh, Again, uh, it seems to be that the temple built by Solomon is not yet there. Uh, So where is this house of the Lord? We know it's in Jerusalem, but, you know, think of it in in terms of all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament. You know, it's not only a place of worship, but here it's a reminder of God's abiding presence with his people. You know, in the Old Testament, the Lord graciously reminded his people of his presence with the Ark of the Covenant. You know, placed there in the Holy of Holies, first in the tabernacle, and then, yes, in the temple, built by Solomon. But it it was a reminder of God's abiding presence with his people. Uh, You you can see it in... uh, One place, Numbers chapter 7, the last verse, verse 89, Numbers 7, 89. And when Moses went into the tent of the meeting to speak with the Lord, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, and it spoke to him. So even there, you know, Moses knew uh, the, the awesome abiding presence of God uh, with his people. And so they're, they're going to the house of the Lord. They're desiring to draw into the Lord's presence. And there is this glad profession of faith. You know, that, that last part there of verse 2, Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Another way of translating that is this. Our feet are standing within your gates. But but picture this in your mind's eye. They're on their way to Jerusalem. They haven't arrived yet. And still the psalmist can, in faith, you know, cry out to the Lord, our, our feet are already there. I, I know you're going to bring us safely there, Lord. We're going to be within your gates. You know, in Nehemiah's account of the rebuilding, the nine gates, 12 gates in uh, Revelation, you know, but it was a reminder that you were safely inside. The gate was closed and you were protected. Our feet are standing within your gates. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan offers a helpful insight. He writes the affirmation, our feet are standing within thy gates, is that of the confidence of faith. It is a claim of citizenship 
even though the citizen has not actually reached the city. There's a sure anticipation, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'll be in Jerusalem one day. And notice it says, our feet. You know, think about that little phrase just just for a moment. Feet often speaks of speak of our human sinfulness before a holy God. Consider John chapter thirteen, where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet before the cross, and he washes the feet of all twelve of the disciples. And who does that group include? It includes Peter, who would later betray him, deny him three times. It includes Judas, who would betray him there in the Garden of Gethsemane. It included Thomas. You know, we know him as often as doubting Thomas. You know, and here's that picture in John 13, Jesus lovingly, graciously washing the feet of his followers. It said the presence of the humble feet in this holy city bears mute testimony to God's faithfulness. O Jerusalem, he cries, there in verse 2 of Psalm 122. It's the first mention of Jerusalem in the Psalms of Ascent. You know, it's the capital city, city of David, God's city. No, we, we think especially of the Temple Mount. Walter Kaiser describes it, the place where God had caused his name, his presence, and his glory to dwell. You know, and here the psalmist is gladly going to Jerusalem. You know, let me offer a scriptural example of, of worship uh, from Second Chronicles 29, uh, not going to uh, read it all, but uh, give you a, a quick bit of biblical background and then read a verse or two. Uh, but the situation is this in Second Chronicles 29. Israel is in a sad situation. There have been a series of sinful kings in Judah, uh, but then God providentially placed Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, on the, the throne. And the Lord used Hezekiah to cleanse the temple, restore temple worship with the right sacrifices. And then King Hezekiah as well restored music, stringed instruments, and singing in the worship of God, followed by a burnt offering. And then we read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 30. 2 Chronicles 29, 30. And Hezekiah the king And the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph, the seer, and they sang praises with gladness. And they bowed down and worshipped. You know, there's a, a glorious gladness. And if that's not enough, you follow it through, read one other verse, 2 Chronicles 30, next chapter, verse 21. They're celebrating Passover, which is the Old Testament um, 
sign that we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, Second Chronicles 30, uh, verse 21. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. You know, it's my prayer that the God's great gladness would mark our worship service this morning. And, you know, it's easier on this Sunday. We've been apart for seven weeks. But gladness should mark holy worship each Lord's Day. May the 24th. You know, throughout 2020 and in the years and decades to come until Christ comes again, you know, we, we are to gladly call out to others, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, there's a gladness of humbly standing before our holy God, you know, because of the shed blood the imputed righteousness of Christ, his resurrection from the grave, there's a glad anticipation of worship. But now in Psalm 122, 3 through 5, there's a glad adoration in worship. You know, here in Psalm 122, 3 through 5, it's a beautiful, and I'll call it a black and white photograph of Jerusalem. You know, we're not to worship the city. You know, Lynn and I uh, had uh, the the joy of visiting Jerusalem way back when. You know, but don't think, well, I hadn't been to Jerusalem. I can't rejoice in the same way. You know, rather, this real city in Israel points ahead to heavenly worship in the new Jerusalem. You know, if you're taking notes, jot down Revelation chapter 21. Verse 22 and following. Read it for yourself today. You know, but there is an adoration of God's beautiful unity there in in verse 3. Notice how the psalmist David pictures Jerusalem. It's a city. You know, that, that may be a hard pill for us to swallow, but, you know, think of it this way. It's not the wilderness. You know, they're not in the desert. They're not in a barren land. It's not like Jonah in the belly of a great fish. You know, they're, they're a, a city. Why a city? You know, it's a place of architectural beauty. You know, a place with homes where people safely live together. You know, and, and that's the picture, bound firmly together. You know, for those of of you who are woodworkers, and I've only seen it, you know, it's like a dovetail joint or or miter joint. So, you know, we're we're closely bound together. We're knit together. Alec Motier calls Jerusalem, quote, a little phrase, a designedly integrate. They are designedly integrated together. You know, God designed this for them to be integrated, to be together in unity. It's a close community where believing families live in harmony under God's gracious law and in sweet union with one another and the Lord. I believe we have a foretaste of that when we gather together for worship on the Lord's day. 
a, a city, a, a beautiful city, a, a city bound firmly together. And if again to that that note of unity, now it's not an architectural unity; it's a tribal unity. Verse four. You, know, you, you again for those who read through your Bibles, you know there were twelve tribes of Israel, but really it's one nation, Israel. And here the psalmist say, to which the tribes go up together. Yes, there's 12 tribes, but they're, they're going to Jerusalem. They're making this pilgrimage together as God's people. One commentator said, the unity of the city reflected in the unity of the tribes is shown on this special occasion. One city, one people, 12 tribes unified in the Lord. You know, there are many things that can divide God's people. Our pride, our sinful pride, our strong selfish opinions uh, apart from Scripture. You know, just, just to name two, and I'll stop there. You know, but what makes us unified? What what draws us together? Knowing we're God's people, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're headed to the same destination, to Jerusalem, to the heavenly Jerusalem. We're, We're headed to glory together. You know, we're traveling together. We're worshiping together. We're working together. We're witnessing together. And there's an adoration, too, of God's wisdom. Of the latter part of verse 4, as was decreed for Israel. A, a, a difficult expression, but that, that word decree speaks of an ordinance or a statute. It reminds us that God reveals his character, his will, and ways to us in, in his holy word, the Bible. You know, God doesn't keep it a mystery. God doesn't keep it a secret. You know, he he gives to us his word. His word that rightly regulates our reverent worship. You know, we as sinners should never presume to create ways to worship a holy God. You know, in ways that feel good. You know, we're to worship God in ways that please him, honor him, show we are obeying his word. The wisdom of his word lovingly guides us. You know, and and here's the centerpiece, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. You know, in his word, God calls us to praise him for all that he has graciously revealed of himself. We we graciously give thanks to God for his goodness, his compassion, his mercy, his patience, his provision, and most of all we praise him for his gracious gift of salvation in Christ. You know, it's it's glad worship. And we hear this echoed in in the New Testament, not echoed, even stronger note Philippians chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10, as we think of that phrase, to give thanks to his holy name, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Hear this, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Therefore God has highly exalted him, 
That is Jesus Christ. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You know, we're giving thanks to the name of the Lord. We're giving thanks for the person and work of Christ. But there's one final part to this adoration there in verse 5, an adoration of God's justice. Yet one more reason to give glad adoration to God in worship. You know, we, we give thanks for his thrones of judgment. You know, it, it's plural there, thrones. Uh, there may have been thrones in the king's courts and in other government buildings. That's what uh, James Boyce writes Or there may have been, and we know there are, seats for judgment at the city gates. So that when you entered this city or any of God's cities there in Israel, there were those elders, leaders, you know, making wise, God-honoring judgments, bringing about peace among God's people. And it all reminds us that God is a just judge, a righteous judge, another reason to praise God. You know, glad adoration and worship there in Jerusalem. I invite you to turn quickly, not trying to preach two sermons this morning, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, our New Testament reading. You know, here we see another pilgrim who is on their way not to an earthly Jerusalem, but they're on their way to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem. This Christian pilgrim awaits their God-promised arrival in glory. And then we read before the judge of all, there in verse 23, and before Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, there in verse 24 of Hebrews 12. But what should be the Christian's response to this gospel promise that we've read about? You know, just here in Hebrews 12, in in this uh, wonderful promise, you know, here verse 28 of Hebrews 12. Therefore, you know, after hearing all this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, our worship is to be God-glorifying, Christ-magnifying, Holy Spirit-saturated worship. You know, our glad expression of gratitude for God's gracious love for us in Christ. But the final section there... Now we see in verses 6 through 9 that glad assurance of worship. You know, we've seen the glad presence of the Lord, the glad praise of the Lord, now a glad peace of the Lord. And right along with peace is a prayer. The only command here in, in this psalm is that word, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
It's what's called a plural command, meaning all of God's people ought to be praying this together. Pray for the peace. Now, pray for peace. Peace, as we've seen in Romans, is more than just the absence of conflict. We're praying for the gracious presence of the Lord in times of sorrow and strife, praying that we would know gospel hope and heartache. You know, it's truly an Old Testament call for Christians to be praying this. As part of God's church, we're praying for the peace of Christ. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the psalmist here is is truly praying for the, the salvation of the lost, that God's people would always remember, you know, what Christ accomplished. On our behalf, there on the cross, he bore our sins. He was the perfect sacrifice for sins. Final sacrifice, he rose again from the grave, victorious over sin and death in the grave. So pray for the peace of Jerusalem. You know, we are to pray for peace and and protection, for security, There, verse 7, a prayer that our faithful God would guard his beloved church against spiritual attacks from Satan. I believe it's a prayer that we ought to be praying today for the church. The church is under attack. You know, God is sovereign, you know, but, uh, you know, we're, we're under attack from the evil one. And uh, so we pray for God's peace, for God's protection, his security. You know, and, and security, don't misunderstand that word. Some people think, well, you know, we as a church, you know, we're going to hold the line here. Or others say, let's, you know, to use a, a historical analogy, let's Take up the drawbridge. Make sure we have a wide and deep moat. Let's make sure we're safe. You know, that, that's not the kind of security I believe the psalmist is talking about here. You know, it's protection as we plunge forward in faith. It's protection as we head out into battle. You know, as we continue to show the love of Christ, to share the good news of the gospel. You know, and to, to pray, you know, for that solidarity, for my brothers and companions' sake, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, I will say, peace be within you. And he concludes there, a glad conclusion to this prayer. For the sake of the house of the Lord, again that phrase, reminder of God's abiding presence, unfailing presence with his people. In Christ, for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. You know, I will seek that which is good for the church, that which brings God glory and honor and praise and spreads the gospel of Christ. You know, a a glad psalm of worship, a joyful psalm. 
getting sentimental now that I've reached this milestone birthday. Uh, but uh, by God's grace, Lynn and I will be celebrating our 42nd wedding anniversary uh, this August the 12th. Yes, uh, I have a very patient, understanding, persevering wife. You know, I still possess a few precious memories of that day. A Lynn's striking beauty took my breath away, then and now too. Um, Her radiant smile. I still remember my racing heart. You know, I I thought I was going to pass out uh, on that wedding day. Um, I remember the loving support of family and friends, not to get sentimental. I also remember one of the hymns that we sang. You know, and just footnote here, it's always good to sing a hymn at a wedding and a funeral. You, you will never forget that, or the people there will. But the, the hymn was, and it's not in our Trinity hymnal, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Now, the tune by Beethoven, words by Henry Van Dyke, a preacher. Um, but the first verse goes... As follows, joyful, joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness. Drive the dark of doubt away. And then here's the line, giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. Giver of immortal gladness. You know, that, that's what God does for us in Christ. Two quick applications here. God still calls us to joyfully adore our glorious God who loves us in Christ. And may our longing uh, for worship uh, grow more intense and passionate with each Lord's day until we're in glory. The second application is this. May we, you know, have a holy longing in our hearts for heaven. You know, this this worship here and now, yes, it is glad. But how much sweeter, how much stronger uh, when we gather together around the throne and see the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who was slain for our sins. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together in worship, public worship, on this Lord's Day. And guidelines, safety precautions, but Lord, uh, it's so good and sweet to gather together, to sing your praises, to pray together, to read your word together, and now to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And uh, Lord, pray that we would never take worship for granted, but Lord, pray that we would always come with glad, grateful, loving hearts filled with the gladness and grace of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.